welcome to Daybreak Crypto, um, another episode here today. Um, we'll be talking about DAOs and how they could potentially disrupt many industries this year. And then we'll also talk about NFTs, uh, NFT music rights, specifically this one with Snoop Dogg that uh, Greg was able to find today. So Greg, if you want to kind of get into it and explain your article and uh, how it relates to Snoop Dogg, please do. Yes. So the article is called Snoop Dogg's NFT Mixtape Invites Remixes. Does it authorize them? Um, so Snoop Dogg, a little backstory, he acquired uh, ownership in Def Jam Records back on February 10th. I believe it's Death Row, right? Plans... Death Row, sorry. Oh, yes, Death Row Records. And he plans to turn it into the first major label on the uh, blockchain in the metaverse, however you want to say that. So he's planning to release, I think, quite a bit of music um, as NFTs and as other for sorts of um, Web3 ideas. Um, so this first one he just released is actually, it's his mixtape, um, and it's called uh, Dog On It, Death Row Mixtape, Volume 1, and it contains four different distinct audio files. The first one is just the vocals. Second one is just the instrumental. Third one is the instrumental and the hook without the verses. And then the fourth one is the complete song. So each of these are in different edition numbers between 250 and 500 total, like total pieces that you could get. Um, and you can basically go on OpenSea. This is a Ethereum NFT and you can go on OpenSea and you can purchase, let's say you just want the instrumental track. You can purchase that. And according to this, you are able, you then own the rights to do what you want with that instrumental. Um, Snoop's personal Twitter tweeted, you buy it, you own the rights to it, you bought the Snoop Dogg beak, make your own track. Um, so from everything that's been released so far, it seems like this is gonna be something where people can go buy this and they can pretty much do what they want to the track. Uh, they can remix it, they can take the, uh, just the instrumental, put their own beat over it, take Snoop's lyrics and put it over their beat, do basically whatever they want with it, and then have commercial rights to sell it according, or apparently. Um, nobody's tried to sell anything yet with it, so we'll see how that goes, if and when that comes. But um, what do you think about this, Max? Yeah, and like you just mentioned, that's going to be a key factor. What happens when someone actually does go try to sell one of these things? Um, I, I imagine you'll see some lawsuits. Uh, we saw it with with even the Tarantino NFTs on Secret Network. They immediately saw pushback from the the production companies, um, and I, I would expect nothing different uh, from the music side. A little different. Sorry, I just wanted to mention. Is no, please. With that though, is that Snoop Dogg does with his ownership of um, the record label, and if he owns the rights to all the songs, this is something where he theoretically has more, I guess, more room to kind of distribute this stuff if he actually has 100 percent ownership of it all and, and that's what we would need to know is you know what what are his rights does he have exclusive rights to all his music you know does he have that full 360 deal where he's really controls everything that that he produces creates makes or does he own a portion of it because that's exactly. where it starts to get a little hairy in the sense like the label's going to want their portion of the, the proceeds. So if he owns even 80%, they're going to want to see their 20. And that's something I'm sure Snoop Dogg could work out. Um, he's been working with Death Row for as long as I can remember. Um, I mean, we're talking back to the NWA days in the, you know, so I, I imagine he's got a good relationship, but still it, 
it seems that anytime someone tries to take advantage of their own rights, <laughs> there seems to be pushback mm -hmm. from somebody or some industry. Correct. And, and yeah, I think that'll be if they are able to drop a contract or release some sort of some terms and conditions or something that that can show that people do have the rights. Yeah. then that's something. But yeah, like you said, you know, everybody wants to get their cut, obviously. So, well, and, and kind of thinking about it now a little more, it's it's one of those things where it might not be, you know, death row that that cares so much because maybe Snoop does have the rights. But I think it's more of the precedent. I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, recording labels and that are going to basically say, hey, I don't care if he owns the rights. We just don't want the precedent set that artists can basically go sell their own music without us and make money. I think that's their biggest fear. Yeah, which is crazy because that's how it should be. Artists should it, that's how it should be. But, <laughs> but yeah, this I, whole I yeah, principal agent. Yep, it's the market. Yeah. But that's actually a, a kind of a nice segue. Um, if you don't mind, into to what I was going to talk about. Of course. Because I was talking about DAOs, and although they're not necessarily related exactly to your article, the idea of this conflict of interest between the principal and the agent um, kind of applies to both. In your case, it's where the artist has rights to music or some rights and wants to monetize that through NFTs. But then you have these production companies or whoever owns the, the other side of the rights um, who are trying to stop that from happening, basically try to get their cut. So the idea of a DAO kind of helps solve that because you own your portion of the DAO and then everything done within that DAO is done based on voting. So that could kind of, you know, if for example, if everyone owned these rights collectively and you voted on if you could sell them, there wouldn't be much of gray area because um, the holders basically decide on it. So with that, um, my article was about how DAOs could become a major kind of industry shakeup um, and could really disrupt the way we think about businesses. And so broadly, like a DAO is just members working together in coordination um, with a shared set of rules. And the whole purpose of it is to literally make it so it's truly democratized way of running a business. So it, like I was mentioning earlier, kind of eliminates this principal agent problem which is really just a conflict of interest between either a person, a group, and a representative. So you want your representative to act um, in your best interest at all time and make decisions that are in the best interest of, you know, whoever they represent. But that's not always the case because there are all other incentives for that person sometimes outside of doing what's best for the people you represent. They may make <clears throat> more money by doing something that isn't the best for who they represent, but is the best for them. And so that's kind of where the DAOs come in um, and and feel free to, to hop in whenever you want. I was just going to kind of walk through kind of what a DAO is, kind of what the criteria is to be a DAO and just quickly give some examples so people understand what a DAO is in practice and how they function. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Cool. So like I mentioned before, um, the main purpose of a DAO is just to make it so each person in it has equal say and just deciding what happens in the protocol. Um, so the main criteria for a DAO is just that it needs to have rules and policies set up in a smart contract and on a blockchain. That's the biggest um, caveat is that it has to have a set of rules that be a smart contract that kind of governs what happens inside the DAO and it has to be on a blockchain. And then it has to have a treasury that's accessible upon the consent of the entire group. 
or, or, or defined percentage. If you have like a quorum threshold or a, you know, what we would consider majority threshold, then that would count too. So you'll see a lot of these DAOs coming out with their own token. The point of this token is to allocate voting rights for the DAO, but also to provide incentives to the members to hold the token and to participate in the DAO um, functions. One thing so, I wanted to mention, um, yeah. this could be a like token in the traditional sense, um, like you know Ethereum or something, or this could also be a NFT. You see a lot of DAOs now starting to form around NFTs and those collections. Exactly. No, exactly right. And that's that's the whole idea is that, you know, there's some value creation from these NFTs, whether it be through validators, through revenue um, production of the sales, um, through, sorry, royalty um, received through sales. And this can all be put into a DAO and managed in a treasury by all the users via their tokens. So that's, and I, I think the most popular, most known DAO is called the DAO. And it was uh, created on Ethereum, I think it was in like 2016. Uh, have you heard of the DAO, like the, the original? Uh, not other than through this article, no. Okay, now, I, which, is, which is fine. I was familiar with it. I didn't really know what it was or, or what the purpose of the DAO was. But I do recall, you know, it being created. Um, but really, it's just an open source framework. Um, it, it actually was really successful. I think they, they said they gathered over $250 million worth of Ethereum at the time. And that's when Ethereum was at about $20. So I think quick math, that's like 12 and a half million Ether. Um, but unfortunately, after a couple of months, I think it was only like six months later, they actually had a, a, an exploit that had uh, 3.6 million ETH stolen. And as far as I can tell, that's actually the number of ETH that was stolen, not dollars. So that'd be around $10 billion today, I think, which is pretty wild to think about but that was the first iteration of a DAO and despite it losing that much money the concept still kind of pushed through as something that people saw as a concept that could have could be successful in the future because the ideas behind it were strong it was more or less the exploit and the smart contract that cost them um, all the all the ether and, and once people realized that I think they were more open to going back to the DAO structure and we're seeing that right now um, and, and they're really just premised on three major things. Like I was saying before, you, you just need your smart contract that's going to house all your rules, your rewards. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're going to have to have a set of members who are going to vote on these via their tokens. And they'll decide through governance and voting what the DAO does, whether that's with their treasury assets, whether that's with you know deciding who who's going to be in charge of marketing. You can do all sorts of things. You're essentially running your business through a democratic voting system. Um, and then the token should be able to provide some sort of incentive or reward. Otherwise, there's no reason really to participate in the DAO. And I think that's the hardest part right now is there's a ton of these DAOs popping up, but what are they providing? You know, what type of value are they actually providing outside of just saying, hey, we're a DAO that you can vote on and here's a token that you can, you know, use to vote or buy and sell, but it really does nothing if your DAO isn't you know, pursuing or generating revenue. I mean, I guess what's your opinion on that with the whole DAO explosion happening right now? No, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, yeah, because I think otherwise, if if you're just buying the token, hoping the price goes up, then that's just speculation. If there's nothing behind it, like you said, where you have actual DAOs that are doing stuff that are running validators, um, 
you have NFT DAOs that are doing giveaways of their NFTs or, you know, having special whitelists available and just really making it so that owning that token or owning that NFT is worth worth the price of admission, like what you're paying for it. Because some of these aren't cheap tokens either. Yeah. Get into no. these clubs or these DAOs. So it's you really want to make it worthwhile to for somebody to see a value in purchasing one of these. Agree. And, and, and there's been a few uh, recent DAOs, I think, that are are actually doing pretty well and have found ways to provide value um, back to the to the DAO holders. I think one one that's fairly well known is called Gains Associates, um, and it's really just a decentralized investment fund. So they utilize a DAO to basically decide what projects um, or tokens are going to deploy their capital into, but it, it's all decided by the DAO. So it's kind of an interesting concept of like crowdsourced investing, which if you kind of think about it, if you were to crowdsource enough investors to get their opinion on where to deploy the money, you should get right around the market average, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how yeah, it should work. Good or bad, I guess, depending yeah. on how your personal well, investments go. A hundred percent. But at the same time, but some yes. people are looking for that hedge or that exactly. safe bet. Like, for example, with people don't realize with with hedge funds, it's it's in their name, right? They're not supposed to make the maximum return. They're supposed to make a consistent return that is hedged against, you know, event like black swan events, stuff like that. So that's yeah, a whole not idea. Losing, not losing money, hedging against that. Exactly. Loss. You're reducing you volatility. Yep, exactly right. So from that standpoint, it's it may be a good thing. Maybe people are looking for that type of investment where it's more safe, more um, spread out and, you know, kind of reduces yeah, like the volatility. You said, when, you, when you reach a certain size, like you said, you get to that point where it's so big that you're, you're almost a market maker at that point, if you get yeah. to that size and then it's, yeah. you know, what kind of advantage do you still have? Exactly. So it's keeping it small, but that's a nice thing about a DAO is you can keep it relatively stable size you don't have to have it where it's unlimited growth like you can make it so there's only a thousand members or two thousand or however many you want that are allowed into the DAO. right right you can cap it you can leave it yeah. wide open it's really and again it's up to the governance so it's up to the members of the DAO to decide that and that's what makes it so cool is that it really is up to the people using it or part of it that are the ones who are going to shape and, and de decide how the DAO functions how it creates value, how it distributes revenue, if that's the case. Um, another good example is this one called Paragen. And I like this one because it's a launch a launch pad. So like their whole purpose of the DAO is to find projects um, that are kind of in the early stages of development and kind of help them launch. So whether that's from marketing strategy, technical development with the contracts, you know, just providing advisory support um, or finding talent. And so that, that's what this DAO does. So it basically has a, a, a group of people who are willing to assist in whatever ways they can, whatever fits their expertise. Um, and in return, they get a portion of the tokens from these projects. So if these projects end up being successful, these tokens come back to the DAO. The DAO can either reinvest those tokens, they can sell those tokens, stake those tokens. So it's really a cool idea of this launchpad type DAO where you assist other companies with the idea that you'd get something in return if the companies do well or the protocols um and to me that's that's the structure of a DAO. i think will be will be very valuable in the future as well as DAOs that just run like a, a normal business i think um a lot of businesses have 
you know, board of directors or C-suites that are very narrow-minded at times, but those are the ones who are making the decisions. So by outsourcing this decision to a group of people, you kind of get a, a more perspectives um, and the shareholders truly have a say, which today you vote as a shareholder, but unless you are extremely wealthy, your vote in a, in a normal stock or normal public company is very insignificant and the board of directors and um, significant holders will dwarf your votes every time. So. No, exactly. Um, I did want to go back and touch on that Paragon. Paragon. Yeah. Um, I think that's, and that's, I think that's kind of the future, like you said, is where instead of just like a venture capitalist coming in and saying, here's a couple million dollars have at it, they're actually providing some sort of value for these people and they're providing a value proposition and helping them launch still but also then they get yeah tokens in return so it's it's a very it's a symbiotic relationship that they can have with uh these tokens agreed um, also uh, going on i think another big thing is going to be with gaming um i know they mentioned that later in the article um but one big one i didn't see mentioned that I know we have mentioned previously on the podcast is Yield Guild Gaming. And I think that's a really cool concept where some of these NFT games cost thousands of dollars to get in just due to the, you know, the NFT cost or whatever, where if you could instead pay like $100, get some tokens, and then join a Yield Guild game or whatever other guild or DAO, um, and then you could play all these games, you could test them out, you could, you know, rent or borrow um, NFTs and use them in the games without having to put that upfront capital cost in. Um, and I think that's gonna be a really good way to provide access to some of these games as they get too big to be affordable for the average player. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And gaming seems to be a nice entry for a lot of crypto concepts. Um, it seems to be a group of people who are willing to kind of test out this new technology and see how it works. And I like that because I and you are as well gamers. So it's cool to see them kind of making that leap of faith into, into the blockchain and web three and it. And I think it will pay off in the end. So excited to see how that works out. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I think we're coming up on time here so I can go ahead and wrap it up. I did want to just read one thing that I, I saw in the article, and it's actually a quote from Vitalik Buterin, you know, founder of Ethereum. And he and I, I couldn't agree more with what he said regarding DAOs. But he really just said, companies are likely to buy into DAO system because it reduces operational costs and improves the bottom line. And that's it. That's all I said. And to me, that is eye-opening because I'm in my real life job. I'm an accountant. I work in finance. And I can tell you right now, if an organization can reduce operational costs and bolster their bottom line. That is a no brainer. This is going to be something that will attract not only their eyes, but it'll attract their capital. So if, if the Dow can truly be that kind of liaison between the shareholders and a company where it truly creates value and reduces cost, I just don't see a way where companies and people alike are going to find the Dow as a very useful structure for their organization whether it be for personal things or for large organizations like we see today on the stock market. So thanks again for joining Daybreak Crypto. Um, I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Thanks for listening live if you're here or if you're listening on the call-in app or any of our other platforms. And we will see you tomorrow with another episode. Thanks for stopping in.